Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker, and I thought, if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate, so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. Tossing and turning all night like a salad. It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. I'm Jill, and this is the Sober Powered Podcast. I'll tell you how I finally stopped chasing the buzz and what I've learned along the way. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. I'm Jill, and if you're new here, I'm a sober scientist who talks about the science and psychology of addiction. If that sounds interesting, please subscribe. Today, I'm going to talk about the warning signs I ignored that clearly showed I shouldn't be drinking. This episode was actually inspired by a really enlightening conversation that I had with my husband, which I'll tell you about first. 
I'll talk about what a successful night of moderation looked like for me, how I couldn't keep extra alcohol around, how after a few years I was unable to take a day off drinking, and the irrational fears that I carried around about bad things happening to me while I was drunk. So let's dig in. A few days ago, while my husband and I were having dinner, he asked me about what my favorite memory was in our current house. So we rent half of a two-family house and are hoping to buy our own in the next couple years. The first memories that came to mind were of us drinking together on our porch and enjoying the nice weather. When I told him that, he asked if I had any nice memories from drinking or if it was all tainted because of how it ended. I thought on this for a moment and realized that I do have some nice memories. Just most of the nights ended up with us fighting, me crying, or dealing with suicidal thoughts and anxiety. My husband told me that there were plenty of nights where I moderated successfully and went to bed with no issues. Here's where the story gets interesting though. I told him, sure, I did moderate, but those nights were a waste of time. He was shocked. He knew my overall goal was to moderate and be a normal drinker, so he couldn't understand why I didn't have good memories of the times that I actually did moderate my drinking. What I explained to him was that this is because two glasses of wine was a waste of my time. By the end of my drinking, I was basically incapable of getting a buzz. I'd go straight from sober to drunk without warning. So two glasses of wine wasn't enough to push me out of the sober phase. I told him that every time I had two glasses and stopped, I went to bed feeling like it was a waste. I got nothing out of it, and I should have just had none and at least felt proud of myself. Then I enlightened him. In my opinion, the fond memories that I have are when I was able to drink an entire bottle of wine and stop only because that was all the alcohol that was in the house. If we had anything else, I'd go and dip into that, crossing over into super drunk and ruining the night with all the negative things that I just described. But having one bottle to myself was the sweet spot. I got kind of drunk, but not enough for the anxiety and suicidal thoughts to creep in. This was my opinion of a good night of drinking. And for reference, a bottle of wine is five standard drinks which already puts me past the criteria for binge drinking. I also told him that two glasses of wine was fine if we were out, and that's because the places we frequented gave us large pours. Even though my glass was only filled twice, it was probably four drinks overall. I think this is a really interesting conversation because neither of us knew what the other person thought, what our perspective was. So he thought that all the nights that I did actually moderate and have two drinks and go to bed, that I would be proud of that and that was the goal. I mean, sure, the goal was that that would be enough for me. But the nights that I considered moderating and having a good night of drinking were probably the nights that he considered like really partying. So this is obviously a warning sign. When your idea of a successful night of moderation is five drinks, it should be a sign that you have a bit of a situation going on. Normal drinkers who moderate naturally don't think five drinks is an average night. This would be their idea of partying. 
For me, partying was more like eight drinks. You can explain it away by saying you have a naturally high tolerance, but the only way you build up a tolerance is by drinking a ton of alcohol. A few episodes ago, I talked about tolerance. So we gain tolerance from drinking large quantities of alcohol consistently. The body and brain adjust to attempt to keep itself in homeostasis and remove the large amount of poison as soon as possible. To do this, the liver produces extra alcohol dehydrogenase, which is the enzyme that breaks down alcohol, so that alcohol can be eliminated quicker. The brain also changes its chemistry. One way this happens is by reducing the number of GABA receptors so less alcohol can bind and stimulate them. This results in us feeling less of the good effects from drinking and requiring a higher concentration of alcohol in the brain to achieve them. People aren't just born with an exceptional ability to process alcohol drink a ton of it, and counteract its effects. This is something that develops over time from excessive, regular drinking. Tolerance is a huge warning sign that you have something going on, but again, it's something that we usually ignore. I looked into the signs of alcohol use disorder on the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism website. They have a quick quiz that you can take, which I'll link in the show notes. Some of these warning signs are from them, and some are from me reflecting on my own drinking. They also have a really great worksheet on pros and cons of giving up drinking, also linked in the show notes. It's a really good exercise if you're still having trouble fully committing to your sobriety. I ignored the number of times I got accidentally drunk, which was every time I got drunk. I got drunk against my will on a weekly basis at least, sometimes more often than that. And remember, five drinks was what I considered moderation. So when I got drunk against my will, I was really going for it. Normal drinkers don't accidentally get drunk every single week for years. One of my friends jokes that when she has chips, she eats the size of the bag. That's very true in regards to alcohol. I will drink the amount of alcohol that's in the house. This was another warning sign that once I got started, there was no stopping until the alcohol was gone or I needed to go to bed. We tried to keep whiskey and bottles of wine in the house, but I always dipped into those and ruined my night. We tried to control my drinking by only buying the amount of wine we were planning to drink on a daily basis. Problems still happened when my husband, being the normal healthy drinker he is, didn't finish his wine rations. I'd finish mine and immediately move on to his leftovers. Normal drinkers are able to keep multiple bottles of alcohol in their house without an issue. Have you ever seen a movie where the main character takes a half-full bottle of wine out of their fridge? That has never happened to me in my entire life. Leftover wine? No way. I'd just keep drinking even though I wanted to get up early and exercise, even though it was a work night, and even though I didn't actually want to be drunk. I joined a non-alcoholic wine club recently, which was so exciting for me. I've always wanted to be a member of a wine club, but I could never have extra wine in the house. If you can't join a wine club because you don't trust yourself, then that's another sign you probably shouldn't be drinking. Time spent drinking and recovering from drinking is a sign too. 
I added it up in the first couple months of sobriety and found that I spent about 40 hours a week either drinking or recovering from drinking. Drinking was literally a second full-time job for me. Between that and my actual full-time job, I didn't have any other time to have a life. I just drank, recovered, worked, drank. I encourage you to do this exercise for yourself. The way I did it was even if I shared a bottle of wine with my husband on a Monday night and didn't drink any more than that, the entire night was still wasted. I couldn't do anything beyond sitting around and watching TV, so I called this four hours. Another huge warning sign is when you try to cut down or stop drinking, but you can't. In other words, being obsessed with moderation, but rarely being able to actually moderate. So moderation for men, it used to be no more than two drinks a night with a max of 14 drinks per week. But with COVID, it's actually been dropped down to the same guidelines for women, which is no more than one drink per night with a max of seven per week. So I have never had one glass of wine and stopped. So even the nights that my husband considered me moderating, I still wasn't technically moderating. I noticed that my drinking was different from everyone else's right away, but it took a couple years for me to be honest with myself that it was a problem. This was two years into my drinking when I was drinking Cosmos every night after work. The Cosmos I made were basically 90% alcohol. When I started making two of those Cosmos a night and blacking out more regularly, I was able to be honest with myself that I had a bit of a situation going on. I tried to have skip days and even made mocktails, but people always pressured me into drinking. You may be rolling your eyes at this, but it's actually the truth. I remember one night in particular, I was drinking this chai tea almond milk mocktail thing, and I was very happy and comfortable being the only sober person at the party. My guests kept putting the pressure on literally nonstop. It was all they talked about. They made fun of my drink and made fun of me for not wanting to drink. So eventually, after a couple hours of it, I gave in and started slamming vodka shots. How's this, guys? As I got older, it became harder and harder to skip days of drinking until I just couldn't do it anymore. I remember once I was really sick and I lost my sense of taste, which is something that that happens to me when I get pretty sick. So I lost my sense of taste. I was suffering. I was so sick, but I still wanted to drink. So I drank two of my husband's cans of Guinness, even though I don't like Guinness, but I thought, well, because I can't taste it, it's not a big deal. You shouldn't be drinking when you're sick. If you can't taste and you're miserable, you don't need to be drinking the beer. So I tried to implement fancy moderation strategies to still drink every day, but just drink less. I wore rubber bands on my wrist for the number of drinks I was allowed to have. I had my husband pour my drinks. I tracked my drinks in an app. I wrote them down on paper, and I tried to have a maximum number I could hit per week. Regardless of what I tried to do, it never worked. I think this is the biggest sign of having a problem with alcohol. Just the fact that I had to create all these moderation strategies was the sign. 
not even that I couldn't do any of my strategies. Normal healthy drinkers don't have to think about moderation. It's something they do naturally. When we become obsessed with moderation, we're already in too deep. When I was drinking, I had these terrible fears of dying or getting seriously injured or disfigured in a drunk accident. I kept drinking and putting myself in bad situations, though. The need to drink was stronger than my desire for safety. I would visualize all these bad things happening to me because of alcohol, and I carried these fears around with me for so many years. I used to wake up in the middle of the night in a panic, and I'd get very anxious and afraid before the events that I'm about to talk about. I think I developed all of these fears because I knew I couldn't protect myself or keep myself safe when I was drunk. I felt like I was at the mercy of luck and chance for what happened to me. When I was 24, so two years into my drinking, I had a friend who was a super heavy drinker. She was my best friend, but I had to cut off the friendship because I would always drink way too much when I was with her. I stopped being her friend to keep myself safe. She lived in an apartment on a high floor and she had a balcony. We'd get drunk and talk on the balcony. I would wake up in the night in a deep panic that one time I would get drunk, fall off the balcony and die. I would visualize it happening. In this fantasy, I'd be laughing and chatting with everyone on the balcony and then my drunk self would stumble right over the railing. I'd be hanging on, panicking, yelling for help, but before anyone could help me, I'd lose my grip falling into the parking lot below. The fantasy would always go to my husband, who upon learning of my drunken death would be inconsolable. He'd run downstairs and come out to find me lying there. He'd cry and scream. I was so afraid that that would be my legacy, dying in a drunk accident that didn't need to happen. My husband and I love to cruise, and on cruises, you drink all day and all night. That's just the norm for most people. You even get free alcohol on some of the excursions. I was scared before every cruise that I'd get drunk and fall off the ship and die. When I planned the trip months before, I was filled with excitement, but as the vacation approached, my excitement was replaced with anxiety. I refused to get a balcony room for three years because of this fear. I just didn't trust myself. My mother-in-law has this beautiful backyard and throws parties a few times a year. In the summer, she sets up a fire pit where everyone sits around and talks. It's really nice. I would wake up in the same panic and visualize myself falling into the fire pit and either disfiguring myself or dying. I would avoid the fire pit as much as I could and pull my chair far back from it for safety at every party. I would even visualize my demise in the days leading up to these parties. I imagined myself around 10 p.m. by the fire with everyone and I got up to get another drink. As I stumble away, I trip and fall directly into the fire pit. I'd visualize what would happen to me and if I survived it, what my life would look like afterwards. I was so scared that I would keep drinking until something truly horrible happened to me. I'm not a clumsy person. Despite my fear of impending doom, I never changed the way I drank. 
I was sober at my mother-in-law's 4th of July party in 2019. Even though I had started drinking again, one of my very last desperate moderation strategies was that I don't drink at parties. This was because parties are usually all day and all night, which ends up being a lot of wine. Doing this party sober was actually way more fun. I didn't feel like an idiot. I wasn't needy and constantly seeking attention. But mainly, I was not afraid of dying or being harmed. I knew that I wouldn't fall into the fire pit. Another warning sign that I saw online was continuing to drink even though it makes you feel depressed, anxious, or worsens another health problem. This was me. If you listened to my last night of drinking episode, then you've heard all about that. The depression got worse and worse, and then I developed anxiety at 28. I kept on drinking despite the anxiety keeping me up all night multiple times a week and continued to drink even when the depression evolved into suicidal thoughts. Finally, the fear of getting drunk and killing myself was enough. I know that if I go back to drinking, I'm putting my life at risk, so I will never drink again. If you're struggling to commit to sobriety and trying with all your might to hold on to drinking, I encourage you to do this type of exercise for yourself. Add up the time you spend drinking and recovering from drinking. Do you have any irrational fears? Are you unable to cut down or quit when you try? Do you continue to drink even though it's destroying your mental health? And if you're listening to this episode on Friday, the day that it comes out, I am celebrating my 11-month soberversary today, so send me some good vibes. And I'm also going to link something in the show notes where you can vote for me if you like this podcast, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Madeline and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety and lots of how-to for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.